Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and what are we talking about? We are talking about pronoun hospitality. Oh, golly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think we're going to make it past the first line. Question mark? Yeah, let me throw yeah. a question mark in there. Pronoun All right, hospitality. So we have no idea how this will come about or come across. We have a whole script here, but yeah, we might get snarky. Probably we'll get some narky. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Maybe we'll be very pastoral and kind. I don't know. <laughs> Go for it. Well, uh, okay. So we want to talk about this issue because it's it's become it's become real for us, right? Yeah. It, it, it's it's in our churches. It's in our churches, um, both of them, and so it's a real topic and something that we therefore need to address. And just with the trajectory of the culture, it's just going to keep moving that way. Um, and so these are kinds of topics, and we just want to admit this from the outset, that are really easy to discuss in theory and debate on social media, um, but they're becoming real live issues within the church. And so no doubt it's going to be an issue that everyone is going to have to make a decision on in the future, and it's going to have real life impacts on them and people around them. And so we want to talk about what's just become to be called by some as in the church's pronoun hospitality. Where do you hear that? I honest, I think it, from what I can gather, it was J.D. Greer who's come up with that term. Oh, so we're going to also do probably a podcast on Ed Litton and Greer and the SBC. And <clears throat> yeah, we should. I mean, we're, we're probably going to do it and we'll definitely be snarky there. Yeah. That sounds like something that he didn't invent. It sounds like something that the place he buys his sermons from invented. <laughs> Anyhow. Who's to know? Um, so again, that's for another time. Though. Yeah. So, so pronoun hospitality—it's—it's it's a phrase as you can just gather that's become becoming popular within the church. It's been around for a few years now, but hmm. it's basically the idea of calling someone by their preferred pronoun or their preferred name. And you might have already come to conclusions about this, um, but we're just going to ask that you listen and then that you think about it. Um, as we were just working through this and talking about it, we've had several conversations now just between you and I about how this is more complex than we realize at first. Yeah, and I've, I think I've changed my mind like eight times just yeah. in the time we've talked about. Yeah, you did the old Fauci flip-flop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's become more complex uh, th than you might realize at first once you actually begin discussing it. And as the culture grows increasingly confused, the church has to figure out a way to minister to it well, which is the goal here. And so we just, we're going to throw out some thoughts here. Um, and this might not be the only one we do on this. It might have to end up being more as people write in or what, if you have questions or nuances or caveats. And so we do want to address all those. Um, but before we get into it, we, what we're going to do is lay out several different perspectives on this issue and show why it might not be as black and white as many want to make it. 
And so we're not saying we agree with these, that we agree with any of them or all of them. We're just simply trying to show at the beginning here the spectrum that exists. Yeah, and this is just me talking off the top of my head, but you, you already said it's easy on social media, right? You can be, I think later on we'll call them a keyboard warrior. Um, and and you sound very eloquent, and of course you're right because it's in your own little echo chamber in your basement. Exactly. But um, it, it's sort of like when you have this position on divorce or remarriage, and you and I both have exceedingly, exceedingly yes. um, conservative approach. Um, but when you're looking at a person whose wife just left him, it's not it's not easy just to give a slam dunk. Well, that's just in. You know, you've got to minister to that person, right. and and they're hurting, and or you find somebody who wants to remarry, and our biblical convictions on that is they can't. Well, again, we could just say, well, you can't. Um, <laughs> well, aren't you biblical? I thought you were a Christian. You know, all those kinds of things. Right. Um, but it's hard. You love that man or that woman. Uh, he's they're part of your congregation. You want to minister to them. You want to help them. But they're also very much smitten. And so how do you shepherd that? It, it's it's not as black and white. Another one, um, you know, it's great to talk about homosexuality and the evil of it, and it is. It's perverse. It's twisted. It's broken. But when you're looking at your dear sister in Christ at church who didn't now informs you with her husband, and they're both in tears that their daughter has just now announced that she's a lesbian or her their son is saying I'm a homosexual um it's not easy it's it again They're it's real not people. easy the, yeah. and, and it's a real now we're in the real world we're not in the theory and so we're gonna as we walk through these approaches I, I, what I'm what I'm trying to convey to the people listening to us right now is you may already have your ready answer and that's fine and and you know, whatever. You you have to give an answer to the Lord. We do too, but we also want to make certain that we're we're approaching this having thought it through and that we're wise. Right. Um wise biblically and that we honor God in it, right? Yeah. I mean the problem is is we have been talking about it as theory for so long, but now it's a real life thing. It's not just a topic on the internet. It's now in people's homes, in your churches, in your schools, in your workplace. And it's like now we gotta actually deal with this in a manner that honors Christ. And so changing that mindset of just giving short, quick, black and white answers to now, okay, this is maybe a little more nuanced because we're trying to minister to real people in real life. We got to approach it carefully. Well, and again, I mean, it's not even, it doesn't end here. What, what are you going to do as a, as a member of a church, if a transgender transvestite comes into the church, not as a Christian, but they, they got, they heard Ray Comfort. You know, he, down on Venice Beach, and they heard him, and he he shared the gospel with them, and and they they haven't trusted in Christ, but it impacted them, and they wander into your church, and they're hoping to get a better sense, but everyone scatters. Mm-hmm. Everyone now they, they you have a cone of silence around this person. Oh yeah, yeah, there that that's good. Um, you know, is that so? It it's it's going to be. Or a, you make a statement with zero explanation, right? And now they're. It's like, okay, you just made a statement and you just basically cut everything I know to be about life out. Yeah. And it's like, that wasn't helpful. Yeah. And <laughs> and no context to it. Um, we would even go into, I would even go into things like we have a very strong stance with 
modern psychological thought and argument and the medication and and how we define issues. Um, but again, w- w- when you're talking from the pulpit you, you, and you have all these people here, they you, you don't know what's going on with them, and you need to be a little bit more careful, give a better context. And um, I kind of like what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones would do. He would get people coming into his church all the time, and they would seek counsel, and he would tell them that he would not counsel them until they had come to his church every Sunday for six months. And he's like, after six months, if you still need counsel, I'll counsel you. And he found that the vast majority didn't, because as they started hearing the word and hearing the gospel, many of them coming to faith, but just seeing the gospel, even if they were Christian, now begin to affect them, um, the issues resolve themselves. Mm-hmm. and. So, but but you have to get the person to be able to stay there. And how do you do that without compromising truth? Right. It's it's a right. mess. It is. And it's... and so, especially I would speak to any of you who are not a pastor, and you're looking at your pastor and you think he's compromising. Take a deep breath and realize that you don't. You're not being confronted with those issues. You get to just sit and watch. Um, he's the one that has to. Uh, it's kind of the same thing when you watch cops and all the backseat. Or whatever, yeah. you know, they watch a cop confront, get into a confrontational situation. And he slams a person and goes, "Oh, he didn't need to do it." It's like, yeah, you're not able to offer any explanation of what he could have done, though, and you have no idea what it feels like when you're all by yourself and you're surrounded by an angry mob and a person's fighting you that you throw him to the ground to get control. It's like it's easy for you sitting with your popcorn on your belly, watching your YouTube video, pronouncing Monday morning yeah. quarterbacking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Let's go so, with that. Yeah, so th- there are several approaches, and these are just what we came up with. I'm sure there's more, but this is what we've come up with off the, the top here. So the first approach is that Christians must not show pronoun hospitality because it infringes on my freedom of speech. So this Meaning is, the Christians. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so this is the idea that you have rights as an American. Um, no one can infringe on your right or force you to say or force you not to say certain things. Um, so again, this just comes down to freedom of speech. Um, therefore, to require someone to say or not say something, the argument goes, is morally wrong. Um, the Constitution is a moral document and protects pr- freedom of speech. Therefore, coercion of speech is evil. So whether you agree or disagree with any notion of transgenderism, that's not the primary issue here. The primary issue is infringement and control on your speech. Now, that, of course, will usually be backed by the fact that many Christians understand transgenderism rightly as a twisting of God's good design. It's a form of sexual perversion and sin. Uh, Furthermore, while it is sexual sin, it is sin all the more because it now has to do with how a person derives their own personal identity. Um, so if you know anything about the uh, hetero, uh, transgenderism world and debate and argument right now, it's not primarily about sexuality. It's about identity. Um, so heterosexual sin, in other words, sexual sin between an unmarried man or a woman, is different, they'll say, because it doesn't bring in issues of identity. When a person wants to change their name or their pronoun, they're seeking to self-identify um, and place their purpose and meaning in this newfound identity that they have determined. Um, And so it's throwing off of what God has determined for them. And so they essentially become their own maker in that sense. So, so Which in in a sense is correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in this position, a a person can't or won't show pronoun hospitality 
First of all, because it's a moral infringement on their freedom of speech, which tends to be the primary motivator for this position, and as, as I've found in my readings. But it also opposes God's design in two ways, both in terms of sexuality and then also in identity. So that's just a person who says, you know, you Absolutely can not, say right. all the time, but I'm just, I, if you're a girl, you're a girl, and I'm going to call you she and get over it. Yep. Um, the second position is that a Christian must not show pronoun must not show pronoun hospitality because their highest priority is to speak truth and therefore speak in a way that only aligns with truth at all times. So the view here is that Christians are obligated only to speak truth and therefore always speak in a manner consistent with transcendent truth. As a result, then pronoun hospitality transgresses this. Uh, So there's a hierarchy of priority here. It's less important not to offend someone than it is to speak in a manner consistent with ultimate truth. And so Christians know that truth will always offend the sinner. And so this is no different. It's less important to remove a barrier than it is to speak truth. Trying to remove that barrier is a pragmatic consideration, but the Christian must be principled, and the principle is to speak in a manner consistent with ultimate truth at all times. Again, I find myself saying, yeah, I I appreciate that. Um, This position would not necessarily have a problem calling a person by a different name. Uh, So like your daughter Naomi decides to be called Norman. (laughs) 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 I I think that's all I would do. She's just Papa or Grandpa. uh, It's like, no. Uh, you're Naomi. Get over it. <laughs> um, this would be a, a not be a problem because a name is just a name. It has no bearing on truth per se. However, a pronoun does, and because it has to do with identity and matching God-given biology with God-given gender. So you see the distinction there? Yeah. Uh, no to the pronoun, but Fine the, with name, the name. Sure. A third position then is similar to that second one that you just gave, but it's modified now when it comes to the issue of name. So this is a person who can't show pronoun hospitality for those reasons uh, stated above. However, they also cannot call a person by their preferred name because this has to do with an issue of transcendent truth. So that second position is saying the name isn't transcendent truth, the pronoun is. This position is saying the pronoun and name are transcendent truth. Now, how do they get there? Well, this gets into a theology of naming in the scriptures. Which is actually a very fascinating study. It really, really is. Um, so, so biblically speaking, if, if you didn't know, to name something is actually to express authority over it. So Adam was given that task of expressing dominion over creation. How? Well, by naming the animals. Um, it showed that Adam and therefore mankind was of higher rank over any other created thing. And, and, when, and he did that without Eve. Right. And when he was presented his wife... He was not God. That's very interesting. God named him, showing his because God headship, has authority over which him. Which Paul gets into this in First uh, Corinthians eleven about man was made for God and the woman was made for man, and and egalitarians everywhere pass out. Right. Um, but Adam was named by God, but when when he received his wife. God did not name her, he did. And and that just shows, again, that male headship that's established at the beginning of creation. Very fascinating. I hope if people didn't know that, that they're intrigued by that. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, yeah, you see it there with Adam and the animals. Similarly, you will see that throughout Scripture when parents name their children. Um, they're expressing that God-given responsibility and authority 
over the children that God has entrusted to them. And to your point, it's also seen, this is why a woman actually takes on the last name of her husband. She, and she sheds that last name of her father. It is symbolizing that transfer of headship or authority and therefore responsibility from the father now to the husband. What's funny though, is how many women will want a male change their name, but they'll maintain their last name. And they don't even recognize <laughs> yeah. that that last name is is a reflection of your father's headship right. over you. Or they won't take the husband's last name because they don't want to communicate that. It's like, but you still have a male last name from your father. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's so deeply embedded. It's it's humorous. Yeah. Um, so so when a, when a person changes their name, in this position. They're, they're expressing a sinful form of self-identity and therefore self-authority, which of course is just that rejection of God's established authority. So again, if you've been following anything with the transgender movement, the central crux of it comes down to the issue of identity. Um, so as a result, this position states that we can't abdicate on proper pronouns, but nor can we abdicate, abdicate on preferred names. Both are issues of transcendent truth. Um, this is a person who was designed with a certain biology and also certain gender by God, but also given a certain name under that God-given authority of her par- of their parents. And so no individual has the right to just change either, um, for that would be an expression of a self-derived identity and authority. So again, slightly more conservative than the previous position. Um, they see it as morally wrong to show pronoun hospitality and ref- to a person by the preferred name. Both are transgressions of ultimate truth, and the highest priority of the Christian is always and only to speak in a manner consistent with absolute truth. All right, so then a fourth position uh, is what's being called pronoun hospitality. Um, this view sees calling somebody by their preferred, preferred pronoun and name as an act excuse me, as an act of respect. Um, This position does not agree nor argue for the changing of names and pronouns. It understands that doing so opposes and usurps God's design, his purpose, his authority, but it's motivated by a desire to bring the gospel to the person. So this person wants to show the person respect, nonetheless, as a fellow image bearer. And again, you can you can see, okay, I, I see at least the motive. Even right. if you don't agree with it, I, you can appreciate the yeah. motive behind there. Um, this is a pragmatic approach, though. It, it, it doesn't view being, using preferred pronouns and the names as a transgression of ultimate truth. This position sees the crux of the issue being one of motivation. The motivation is not to appease the person or culture. Rather, they just don't want to create an unnecessary barrier between them and the person. For if the gospel is what changes the heart, that is what matters. Once the heart is changed, discussions of identity will follow, and that person can begin to process the process of repenting so they can realign with God's intended design. Yeah. All right, so those are the basic positions again. As people continue to talk, I'm sure, other position, right? Yeah. So what should we do? That's, Give up. That's the <laughs> crawl into a corner, right? Um, so let us begin by saying here, this is not an easy issue. Um, again, it, it is easy to be that keyboard warrior and speak in absolute dogmatic terms when you're in the company of like-minded people or you're in that echo chamber where everything you say is just red meat. Um, but it's very difficult and it's becoming increasingly difficult Um 
when it's now a person whom you love. Yeah, and again, we want to tell you, this has now come into our churches. We're not talking theory here. This is real life, flesh, blood reality for us as two men seeking to shepherd people and having new people every single week yes. come wandering in and you're like and and they're from all walks of life carrying all sorts of baggage and you're like oh lord mm-hmm. um you know it's so it's so even if you right now you're annoyed by us um just think about that yeah. if you haven't experienced this um Maybe maybe you'll have a different position when it's in front of you and you have a person you love. Yeah. And so now you've got people like we do in our church wrestling genuinely with how to approach the issue because they're now receiving pressure from family and they, they need to make yeah. a decision on how, how do I handle this right. And all of you, if you have an outside job, you're going to be confronted with that at some point. Some, at some point, a policy is going to come down from HR and – you're, you're going to be confronted with this. So you better be ready to think about, okay, what about in the context? Okay, in the context of home, I maybe have this position. In the context of the church relationship, this position. In the context of the marketplace, this position. And can I do that? And With integrity. It, yeah. With integrity, a conscience is clear, and I believe I'm still honoring God. Yeah. 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 So that gets into what should we do? We're just going to give you our, and we're going to say a basic position because there's nuances here, but our basic position is that it depends. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, And primarily on two things. First of all, it depends on the context that you're in. And then second of all, it's going to depend on your conscience. Okay. So first one depends on the context. Um, This comes from Al Mohler, who argues vehemently against the use of pronoun hospitality. You want right. to read this? Yeah, yeah. So here's a rather long quote by him. Um, How should we as Christians think about the pronoun question? This is his words. I have addressed that now for a number of years. I addressed it in my book, We Cannot Be Silent. I want to come back to it at this moment to say that the context has changed even from when I wrote that book, which is telling right there how fluid this is. Uh, When I wrote that book, there was a kind of moral pressure coming from the secular left to adopt this kind of preferred personal pronoun language. Now it is not just cultural pressure. It's coming, as this news article makes clear, with coercion. It is coming with the coercion that if you do not follow these rules, you can't teach. You can't stand in the classroom. You can't be employed by this institution or this school. Um, And you can hear the context of him as a a president of a school. Uh, Now, for Christians, we have to recognize that once you adopt this language, you have adopted the new rule of the new morality, and that's the big problem. That's why I would encourage Christians not to use these kinds of pronouns and to recognize that the coercion to use these kinds of pronouns is going to come to all of us virtually everywhere, every workplace, every classroom, every civic organization. It's going to become more expected and more demanded, but let's understand what is at stake. If you adopt the new rules of the new language or linguistic system, you are also adopting the new morality that those rules are intended to serve. Yeah. All right, so Moeller is speaking into a context in which a person holds a teaching or university position. Uh, he's a president of a major SBC seminary, and so he has a certain stake in that realm of academia. Yeah, and um, you, you'll notice also all the examples he used there are 
structural issues, classrooms, civic organizations, yeah. workplaces. So he's talking about formal structures in society. Now, Matt and I would essentially, though, agree with his sentiment and position. If you're in a position in which your job is explicitly to shape minds and morality as a teacher or professor, then you have an obligation to speak in a manner consistent with transcendent truth. Your literal job is to educate and instruct on matters of truth. Um, again, though, in our school systems, truth now has just been exploded. Yep. Um, further, much of what ha- no, I, I'm going to use an illustration out. Yeah, I'm going to use it. It's whack. And, Do it. And it's gross, okay? A few years ago, it's gross. <laughs> I'm not joking. I think I mentioned this before in some podcasts. Um, um, a guy who raises uh, show horses, thoroughbreds and stuff, in the out, outside of Seattle, he um, he is it was sued because one of his horses harmed a guy who snuck into his stables to have sex with it. Okay, I mean, it's gross. And the problem is the horse stables next door or down the road, they serviced individuals who wanted to have sex with horses. Okay, I just, again, folks, if you don't know this stuff, it's been going on since, there's a reason why, all the curtains are just being pulled back. That's yeah, all. yeah. Um, yeah. If you if you wonder where did this come from, well, Moses had to forbid yeah. the lying with an animal as you would with a man or a woman. Um, why did he have to say it? Well, because it was a thing, and it may never enter your brain. But so this guy thought he was at that place, and he ended up in this place, and his horse didn't appreciate it <laughs> and harmed the guy. I won't get into the specifics. Um, you can go however you want with that. And he and and the court cited against him that he needs to provide a safe environment, even though it's trespassing, and he doesn't provide this as a service to whack job perverts. Uh, he still has to somehow be held accountable to it. That's what's going on, and that was a few years ago. So Seattle is much worse even now. Yeah, and so don't think this is just out there yeah. now. Much of what happens, again, in the halls of universities have a direct impact on the trajectory of the culture, and that's very true. And and Moeller understands that. Yeah. And so if you're a Christian teaching in a public school or university, we would say that you you do have a biblical obligation not to capitulate simply by virtue of your role as a teacher, which is to shape minds, hearts, and culture. Remember, education is never a neutral event. To shape the mind is to shape the heart. And to shape the heart is to determine the trajectory and outcome of a person's life. So Proverbs 3 says in verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Yeah, so notice there the interconnectedness of the heart with the mind talks about the heart and understanding. Um, there's a tight parallel structure there. So again, to affect the mind is to affect the heart and to affect the heart is then to affect the outcome of a certain trajectory. Whether you're talking about trajectory of an individual 
or an entire culture. Right. So, so to be a formal educator carries certain obligations. Biblically, the mind is a pathway to the heart, and that is what you're seeking to shape as an educator. And so this is a primary arena in which Moeller is thinking about these issues, and we agree. Uh, if you're a teacher or professor, there are cer- certain implications that are different than if you're interacting with your neighbor over the fence. Right. However, I would also interject, you've got to consider the cost because it will come with a cost. And I think that more and more Christians are going to be pushed out of these public sector areas. 100%. Um, yep. Because if you stand on it, then you're forced out. Yep. Um, so what so, about the rest of life? Yeah, right? especially when talking about evangelism or that neighbor over the fence. And a part of your life that's not necessarily one of those structures, formal structures of society. Um so here's where we then now say it depends on the conscience. Um, and we realize many take a very strong position on this and, are, and, and want to think about it in strict black and white categories. We would say that is fine because that is what your conscience allows. But we'd also say a person's conscience may permit them to hold any one of these positions above that we talked about. Yeah, and that's okay one of the hardships when you get into conscience issues, because there's not an overt Bible verse that says, thou shalt not use preferred pronouns, you know, yep. um, is that what Paul says in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, is you respect another person's conscience in this because it's not a black and white. So if you want to eat this, that's fine. If you don't want to eat it, that's fine too. And so in the church, there's going to be multiple views going on, and the easiest way to split a church is when you decide that this group is the only group that gets to speak or say or, or, or act in a certain way. At that point, you now just cut out a whole other aspect of your church, yep. and it's a conscience issue. Right, which is how denominations come, Yeah, right? So, often. so, so there are many black and white categories in Scripture, but we don't see this as one of those. Um, many have used the argument of Romans 1, 18 through 32, where Paul there is talking about the wrath of God to sort of argue in black and white terms. So in verse 32... Oh, he, by the way, in, in the context is he's talking to the Gentiles. Right. So he's not talking to the Jews. He gets into chapter 2 in that. So he's talking about the world that you and I and our listeners are living in, in the non-Christian, non-biblical, non-monotheistic, right. Judeo-Christian ethic. It's these are just your rank pagan, barbarian, Scythian. Yes. Yeah, and he and if you know Romans one eighteen and following, you know the illustration he uses there is homosexuality again, yes. an issue of sexu- uh, sexual sin, uh, as an illustration to make his point. But in verse thirty two, um, is the go to verse uh, because it says, "And although they knew the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death." They not only do the same, and then here's the key, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so the argument here is that if you engage in what's being called pronoun hospitality, you may not be necessarily doing the same thing as Paul talks about, but you are in some way giving approval. I, and I'm, again, sympathetic to that. Yeah. But you've, I think you make some good points now. So it, the key here, though, is to notice the idea or this phrase of hearty approval um, that Paul says. It's actually one word in the Greek, and it carries the idea of, of 
thinking alike or thinking with or thinking in the same manner. It's dakeo, but with the preposition soon. Yes. Soon dakeo. So it's thinking with or like. Anytime you get the soon prone, uh, prefix attached to it, something, it's something that you're sharing in. Yeah. So the connotation then is one of full or deep approval. Yeah. Um, hearty approval is a good translation. So the question then to ask yourself is, does using someone's preferred pronoun really equate to thinking in the same manner as them about the issue of transgenderism, identity, and sexuality? That's the question. Is a person who is motivated by a desire to reach someone for the gospel and they understand the depravity of transgenderism, are they really giving hearty approval to the whole issue of transgenderism and everything that comes with it, both the sexuality and the identity stuff? Um, simply by using the preferred pronoun so as not to offend. If the goal is to remove a barrier for the purpose of being able to bring the gospel, I would say, I think not. That would be my position. And, and I, I, I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get too far ahead, though, so I, I'm reluctant to say, but I'm just thinking about Jesus sitting. Yeah, we're going to get into this, but he's sitting there with sinners, and yeah. he's eating with them and drinking with them. And I'm just thinking that he probably doesn't look at each one of them and castigates every one of them at, at every chance he gets. Um, there's something more going on there. It's, I, But yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, the challenge here is there's no perfect parallel to, to draw on this, to talk about this particular issue of pronoun hospitality. Um, so every issue is different, but it's not dissimilar, I would argue, from what Paul did by commanding Timothy to become circumcised. Um, and, and I think you're making a really good point. So listen to this. Yeah. It's subtle, but it's excellent. Um, yeah. So, and you got to think about it, but circumcision, and again, you can't really understand the gravity of it unless you know the whole situation well that was taking place here. Um, but circumcision was an issue that Jewish Christians were starting to believe was essential to salvation. Um, and Paul, as you know, vehemently argued against that. Um, so much so that in Galatians 5 verse 2, he states, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Yeah. Um, meaning, salvation through Christ and his gospel will now be impossible for you. It won't work. <laughs> Yet, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 3, Paul himself circumcises Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you think that I'm a, a hard guy to be discipling you? <laughs> I mean, out comes the old Swiss Army now. Yeah. Come here, buddy. <laughs> We're going on a mission. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll thank me later. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, but... I mean, what a, what a, but think about that. Which is it? Is it if you get circumcised, Christ is of no benefit to you? Hey, Timothy, come here. I'm going to circumcise yeah. you. Yeah. So, because we're on mission for God. Yeah. So there's more going on here. Okay. Um, Timothy's response. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no, still, that's fine. I still think about how awkward <laughs> Timothy comes walking home really tender. Oh, golly. His mom, like, what's going on? Well, <laughs> anyhow, you know, he said he wanted to go on a missionary journey with me. Yeah, yeah, that's so exciting. Well, <laughs> I didn't know there was a, a rule. <laughs> There's a whole parachurch ministry devoted to... <laughs> yeah, well, we, maybe we Jews for Gentiles. That. Jews and... for... <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, 
So, but think about this in the context here, right? I mean, you can hear Timothy's arguments. Oh, yes, right? you can. <laughs> so, so Timothy's response could have been, Paul, circumcision is the very stumbling block to the gospel right now for Jewish Christians. So why, for the sake of Jews, should I get circ- circumcised? I mean, that, that, that's, that's right. counter thinking. Um, but for Paul, think about this, not being circumcised was of greater importance. Because evidently, not being circumcised was a greater stumbling block than being circumcised. And both are gospel issues. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you're gonna, we're going to reach the Jews. And, buddy, if we're going to do it, we, 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 you, we, I can't do it with you as a Gentile. You, you, can't, you can't be that way. Yeah. And so you're going to have to take on a marker that marks you as a, a Jew. He has a Jewish mother and a Gentile right. unbelieving father. And um, it, it, that's fascinating, though, that he's like— you, Yeah, well, in the conversation right now, on both sides of this, I guess we'll just call it a debate, both sides are saying this is a gospel issue pronoun, yeah, hospitality. Yeah. Um, so, so think about this. Circumcision was a gospel issue for Jews in Galatians 5. If you get circumcised, you're cut off from Christ. But in Acts 16, not being circumcised was a gospel issue for Jews because now there's that yeah. stumbling block and the gospel can't yeah. come. So on the one hand, tra- you have that transcendent truth argument um, that we talked about. You see that being played out in Galatians chapter 5, that that is what is greatest importance, only speak truth. But on the other hand, removing that pragmatic barrier, if you will, was of greater importance in Acts chapter 16. But when he sends Tim, uh, Titus over to Crete, he doesn't have to be circumcised. It's a non-issue. Well, that's because they're all liars and gluttons. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, they won't care. <laughs> it's just not an issue for them, right. They got bigger issues. <laughs> yeah. So, so in a similar way, we could say using that a preferred pronoun could be a stumbling block because right now this is the big issue in our day. Um, so Christians must not on, must only speak transcendent truth, and so we can't use preferred pronouns. That, I mean, that's the argument, right? right? But on the other hand, I think Paul might say not using pronouns may, may be of a greater stumbling block in our culture, um, because maybe in Paul's mind, he had to remove that pragmatic barrier before he could effectively bring that gospel. Once he brought that gospel, now he's able to start instructing and give teaching on the true nature of right. circumcision, just like in our context. Um, once a person receives the gospel, like that person who walks into your church and they accept Christ, now you can start instructing them on the right ways of sexuality and identity. But that's a whole separate issue. Yes, completely. So on this issue, we would say using a preferred pronoun may, re- and that's a keyword, may remove the stumbling block in certain cases that would allow you to bring the gospel. Uh, once that person understands the gospel, then you start bringing the biblical instruction, right? And Jesus did similar things too. Uh, j- quick example, he calls Levi the tax collector, and you don't get much worse. I mean, when you send a person out after final stage of discipline, he says you treat them as two groups of people, the tax gatherer and the Gentile. Yeah. I mean, there were worse than prostitutes in Jewish society. Yeah, they were despised for good reason too. Yes. Um, they were exploiting the people of God. Um, but then he goes to Levi's house where he's throwing a party for Jesus with all this riffraff tax collector friends, 
These were the literal drag, dregs of society. Now, presumably, this party was thrown for Jesus with Levi's ill-gotten gains that he received from nefarious practices and extortion of his own people. Uh, certainly, Jesus called Levi to repentance, as he did with Zacchaeus. And yet, Jesus had no problem attending a party in which Levi used the money to throw the party. Why? Because Levi's scummy friends were there, <laughs> and they need salvation. Right. And so what was Jesus giving hearty approval to the nefarious practices of Jewish tax collectors simply by attending the party and drinking wine that was bought with stolen money? We'd say no. Right. Uh, not at all. I, I mean, I, we can say that one with confidence. He never sinned. Right. And and yet I can I can hear people today, well, oh, that's wrong. You can it's like I it's not as clean as we always like to do it when we're talking and it's not affecting us. Right. Um, so again, the issue is one of conscience. We speak much of our Christian freedom, and yet we often fail to realize that the purpose of our freedom is so that we might be free to reach a lost world without being bound to a law. Yeah. So listen to Galatians 5, 1 through 14, kind of a long passage, but the, it's about Christian liberties and freedoms uh, and those kinds of things. So here's what Paul says. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. In other words, it was for the purpose of being liberated that Christ set us free. That's the word. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. By the way, there's a play of words there with that severed from Christ. Right. By the cutting away of the foreskin, you literally are cutting yourself off from Christ as well. So yeah. he's using really strong language here. Yep. And then just keep in mind, still, he circumcises Timothy in Acts right, 16. Right. So um, for, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love that's key you are running well who hindered you from obeying the truth this persuasion did not come from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment whoever he is there's a false teacher here preaching circumcision equals justification. But I, brethren, if, uh, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Brutal. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And you can see in verse 15 where he says, if you bite and devour one another, take, take care that you're not consumed. Um, you can see that this issue of pronouns and all this stuff is put just a, a, a another tool that Satan can use to just completely derail a church yep. and just 
until they're everyone's scattered, everyone hates each other. And of course, one of his great tools, we talked about this many times, both in our preaching and on the podcast, is to break the unity that we have in, in Christ. Yeah. Um, and so again, we're not, this is not a lightweight issue. Um, it's, it's a serious issue. Um, yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. And <clears throat> there's a lot that could be said here because it's such a packed uh, passage. And we've done other episodes on the nature of Christian freedom. But, but the key, or a, a key verse is verse 17, um, and there Paul gives a purpose statement. He says, for the flesh sets its desires against the flesh, and the spirit against the spirit, for these are... No, no, uh, the flesh uh, sets against the spirit, and the spirit against, against the, the flesh. Against the flesh, I'm sorry. For these are in opposition of one another, and here's the purpose statement, so that you may not do the things that you please. The argument here is that if you're living by the spirit, it opposes the flesh, so you won't carry out those desires of the yeah. flesh. In the context here, the Galatian church was viewing their freedom in Christ as an opportunity to basically just do whatever they wanted in a fleshly sense. Um, they were no longer under the law, so they thought that they were free to just pursue anything that they wanted. Paul's point is actually the opposite. They are free, but not so that they might spend their freedom on their own personal pleasures. We always talk about it in the context of this is why I can drink alcohol, smoke cigars, mm -hmm. whatever. That, that's just not the point. Rather, they're to exercise their freedom for the purpose of pursuing things that are in step with the Spirit, as he goes on to talk about. In other words, the purpose of your Christian freedom is so that you might be liberated from not being able to reach and serve unbelievers. Christians are bound to no law other than that law of love, um, which he describes in verse 14, which by definition is seeking the good of others. So this is why it's important to hang on to those words of that in that fourth category yeah. that, about motivation. Yeah. What's the motivation? Is it to build others up? So if your motivation is to build up another person, you're now free to do or not do certain things because you have been given liberty to do okay. so. So also notice the language of calling in verse 13. You were called to freedom, brethren. It's a word you can also translate as liberty. Um, the idea is that the Christians have been called to a ministry that requires them first, and that's key, first to be liber liberated from certain things, and in this case, being bound to a law where they were not permitted to do certain things. So if they were to reach the Gentiles, they needed to be liberated from the requirement to abstain from certain things. Now, understandably, Jewish converts would struggle with this, and, and you can understand that. Yeah. Uh, this is why Paul had to keep instructing in his letters regarding matters of meat offered to idols and the tension that it creates. Also, circumcision is constantly coming yeah, up. Yeah, they, they're under the law. They felt they were under the burden. He got to be circumcised. Yeah. And, and so our position here, though, is that you must act in accord to your own conscience. If calling someone by their preferred pronoun or name is like meat being offered to an idol and it causes you to stumble, then go with your conscience. Just I can't. Um, but accept the fact there will be consequences, but right. that's okay. But you've, you've got to be faithful to that conscience. But if you're one who sees it as removing a non-essential boundary for the pur purpose of bringing the gospel, then we would say you're free, even if you're because your conscience permits you. And the challenge would be that if you're free, don't give eye rolls right. to the guy who refuses to, and the guy who refuses to, don't do eye rolls to the guy who says, I... I I'm not bothered by that. Um, I believe this might may not even be a conscience issue in the next couple of decades because it will be such a dominant part of the culture. And boy, I, probably not even the next couple of decades, maybe in the next year. Yeah. Um, 
Right, at, right now, though, it may cause us to stumble because of the ethic of our culture has been predominantly a Christian Judeo one for so long. In fact, this may be why so many of the in the church feel so free to post things on social media that constantly attacks the homosexual transgender world in very pointed ways. Now, if you were thinking... If you were thinking as a missionary, you would never probably do that. Uh, in fact, Missions 101 is is working hard not to offend the culture on issues that are non-essential issues regarding morality, culture, and politics, because all that matters is finding ways to bring the essential matter, the gospel. We have a, a guy that we know, his name is uh, Philemon. We would, in our world, it's Philemon, but Philemon. And I remember him asking the church one day in a sermon, he just simply asked, if anyone would be willing to go naked so that they could then go into the jungle to reach the pygmies in Cameroon, they, they don't wear any clothes, none of them. And in fact, they find it offensive to, to see anybody with any level of clothing. They flee from you. They will not. They'll hide. They will not interact with you at all. But they're image bearers, yeah. and they're lost, and they desperately need the gospel. But you can't even talk to them because they look at your clothing and they're and you're offended. And he asked that, and I found myself exceedingly uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like, I, 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 I. or is the good tactic to post memes about immodesty? Yeah, as if that's going to reach the pygmy nation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, we're going to win. Yeah. 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 So it's it's guys, it's just complex, and I think missionaries have a better sense of this. And what a lot of people in America, in the Christian world, are finding is that their apple cart is being upset because all their carefully laid right. displays are now knocked to the ground, and they're like, "No, no." Um, but if the goal is morality, behavior modification, and politics, then what you've actually done is put the cart before the horse. And that's what many missionaries have done and continue to do. They go in and they try to convert the people to a way of life right. without the faith. Right, right. right. The, uh, in fact, there's a story of people who are reaching the natives of Hawaii back in the day. And the problem was that the natives began to equate Christianity with wearing starched clothing that covered you from the neck down to your ankle in Hawaii, where the temperature is not such that it is good for you. Right. Um, but somehow in in the good, mean, well-meaning efforts of the missionaries going into Hawaii, they actually were ruining their, their, their witness because they somehow equated Christians' dress uncomfortably and strangely rather than what is the gospel and and thinking about what is modest and what right. is right. Um, it's a little more subtle than that. So um, all that to say, let me say it again, if the goal is morality, behavior modification, and politics, you put the cart before the horse, that will change, uh, we would argue, as hearts change. But if that is the drum you beat, then you'll never gain an ear for the gospel. Yeah. And and. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, for some reason we feel different when it comes to our own culture. Um, you know, we wouldn't do that in Africa. I mean, you and I, we just wouldn't think, hey, we need to go deal with a cultural issue here. Um, we just wouldn't do that. But but many Christians, though, have no problem doing that in America. Um, and I would argue perhaps it's because we've made America more to be our home than we think. Yeah. That's why we've worked so hard at teaching about the idea of being missional, that you are a missionary here in America and I tell people all the time, you know, when God saved you, there's a reason he didn't just kill you and bring you to heaven, 
um, he, he left you here because you're now on mission. You are a missionary in your context. Uh, in fact, I remember a guy came from, oh, I can't, Pensacola Christian College, real hyper-fundamentalist, legalistic. He came up, he was a representative, he, want, he, he just showed up unannounced at my church, um, and he wanted to meet with me. He wanted to put out some more material to encourage people to come to their college. And I was wearing shorts. <laughs> uh, um, it was summer, and he's in a suit and tie, polished shoes. He's looking like a good Pensacola boy. Um, they call them preacher boys. Um, and I, so I was talking to him a bit, and I said, so what stands out for you? What is the value of Pensacola Christian College? I had no interest in pushing it, but I, I, I was trying to be nice to the guy. And he looks at me, and this is a 20-something guy, and he's like, well, one of the things we do is we teach our pastors to preach, uh, to dress appropriately so that they do not dishonor the gospel. They dress professionally and, and not in shorts. And I looked at and I said, you little, and I called him, I said, you little arrogant piece of garbage. I said, you come into my church and you tell me that I am somehow dishonoring the gospel because I'm wearing shorts. I said, let me tell you that my church would be offended if I was wearing what you're wearing. That's not how they dress up here. And and how dare you come into my church to tell me that? I said, not only will I not promote your school, I said, but I want you to leave. And he was all, he, he felt very smug, like somehow he spoke truth. I'm like, no, you didn't. You just annoyed me. Yeah. Um, so even if the language of we've lost the culture has certain, uh, that has a certain assumption built into it because it assumes somehow this country and culture was ours in the first place. It's not, and it never was, no matter how much you want to try to say otherwise. It has always belonged to the world, and it sits in the lap of the evil one. That's overtly biblical. Right. Um, it was never ours to begin with, and when we use that language, we reveal how bad our thinking actually is, and it reveals certain things within our hearts about where we want heaven to be. This even gets into eschatology, so your, right. your post-millennial is like, no, 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 um, but it's like, no, it was never ours. The whole world lies in the lap of the I, evil I one. I mean, it, the church just keeps talking about how the culture's degrading, the culture's going to hell in a handbag. It's like, well... Where do you think it's going? And when wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so we just say it's not our world, right? This is not yeah. our culture. And the longer that we persist in that us versus them mentality, the more marginalized the church is going to continue to make itself. The more the church can make that mental shift from us versus them to, I would just say, us for them, the less complicated some of these issues, I think, are going to start to become for us. So, so we keep tripping over that. Yeah. So let me let me just throw out, it's not in what we wrote down, but so here's, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I can't call a name out of, of someone in our church um, like I would in a sermon just to use them as an illustration. I'll just use you. I've known you since you were, I mean, you came to our church off and on since maybe 14 or something like that, maybe. Sure. Um, oh, I, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, and, you know, but you were at other churches, actually. Yeah. Um, but if you all of a sudden just told me today, well, you're going to call me Sally, I'd laugh at you. I would laugh at you and probably even mock you um, because I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, that's that's how I wanted to be identified. I'm like, I don't care what you want to be identified as. You're, you're Matt. Um, I've known you, though. We have a relationship that goes back many years, and 
there's a relationship that I can appeal to and stand on because of that. But if you come wandering in from the outside and you're not, I don't know anything about you, I'm not so sure I would be the same way. I think I, I, I would like to think that I would be a lot more judicious and careful um, because I, because I want you to stay. I want you to sit. I want you to hear the word. Yeah. I will. I won't. I wouldn't shy. I wouldn't. I would. I, I would try to engage you and begin a process where we can get coffee and talk, and and deal with that. I, I might force the issue if you want to be called Z and Zer or something sure. like that. I'm like, no. I, I, I can't. And, and then I would appeal to you, look, I understand what you're trying to say, and I, I, I can even appreciate your argument, but I literally cannot come up and keep in my mind every possible made-up pronoun that is out there. Uh, I just heard of another uh, position. It's called Cupid Sexual sexuality or something. It's a guy who, a person who has sex sometimes but doesn't always feel like having sex. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, it's like they keep chopping it into tinier and tinier pieces, and and it's like I'm somehow supposed to hail that as a brave new world. I I mean, I physically can't because my job is to communicate. So I would just say to you, look, you're going to struggle because I'm going to not say Zzer when I'm talking to you and then uh, Zaza to that person and they, them over here. I, I can't. I have to communicate. And are you willing to do that? And I might have to just take the fact if you say, well, then fine, I'm out of here. I would suspect you weren't looking that carefully. Right, for, you weren't interested to learn. But I would appeal. I would show kindness in that. I wouldn't be snarling. I wouldn't be mocking. Especially on those initial interactions. Yeah. Because the, the coffee shop is the situation you're talking about. That presumes you've begun that relationship. Right. Yeah. And so now you have a dialogue, and there is already a mutual respect that's yeah. hopefully being showed there. But but, but like the but case they also with, came into my church. Now, use your coffee shop. I'm sitting down at uh, Common Grounds or yeah. or whatever, and you come up and you're dressed up as a woman. I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, I was having a good cup of coffee and reading a book, and you sit down. And you you notice I was reading the Bible. Let's say. Boy, I'm going to handle that totally differently there. Totally different. You're, I'm, I'm now in a neutral area. It's not my domain. You, you have engaged me. I don't know what's going on here. I'll be wise. I'll be cautious. But I'm going to try to show so much grace to you that you actually realize this is a guy who treats me with, with the respect that I'm still human. Right. Um, screwed up. I, in my mind, I'm thinking you are, but I, I, boy, I would want to think that I would want to show so much kindness and mercy to you. Um, now, if my child decides to announce, "Mom, I'm now a guy," I, again, no, you, you're 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 not a guy. You're a girl, and they can get mad all they want. But again, now it's a family issue. So it, it really. I, yeah. For me, it's going to be a conscience and and case by case situation. Well, to 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 pull it back to real life too. Um, in the example of if Naomi wants to be called now Norman, right? <laughs> I'm not going to do that because the presumption there is she's grown up in a biblical worldview. She understands the gospel. She knows my position on these things. And so I'm not going to abdicate there right. because she's been taught. But a person walking up to you in a coffee shop who knows jack squat about the scriptures other than some meme she saw on Facebook or he saw on Facebook, that's different. I'm going to handle it different because they just they don't understand where I'm coming from fully. And so I want the relationship so I can engage them and not just be a jerk. And well, 
Go ahead. Well, just solidify the meme that they have against Christians. So right? again, yeah, to use the Hawaii situation, if I was a missionary coming in and they came up to me wearing Hawaiian dress, I'm going to really work hard at not even getting into dress at that point because I know that they're already thinking, oh, he's a Christian, so he wants to convert my style of clothing. I'm, I'm just going to talk and get to know them and become try to be their friend and, and bring the gospel to bear. Again, w- later on, we can deal with, well, you need to cover up. And here's why. Yeah. There's there's a bare minimum that you need to cover here, and here's a there's a reason why. But you're not there yet, so it, no more than I would tell a guy who's a drunk, who's not a Christian that comes to my church. Well, you, it's all about you have to stop drinking. Um, I I wouldn't be ashamed to tell the guy, dude. You understand how much of your life is screwed up because you're drunk. Um, well, no, I'm an alcoholic. Okay, call it whatever you want, but you drink too much, and it controls you. But that's not my that's right. not my point. My point is to move beyond that and say, "Hey, what do you understand about the Christian faith?" and and tell me what a Christian is to you. And they're like, they give you all those negatives. It's like, would you be shocked if I told you that has nothing to do with the Christian faith? No, I would be. Okay, how about we start meeting and just talk? Let's just. I'd I'd love to talk to you about what the Christian faith actually is, and then we can go from there. Fair enough. If they say no, oh well. But if they say yes, yeah. Wow, I've I've got an end for the gospel. Right. I, I now can begin to evangelize. And that's a certain mentality. I mean, yeah. if, if we as the church, if we keep retreating and then passing memes on Facebook back and forth to each other about, you know, poking fun or attacking homosexuality and transgenderism, we're never gonna accomplish what Jesus left us here to accomplish. Which is why I say it gets down to a motivation, right? But if you think as a missionary, it's going to change how you re- respond to people and react to them and treat them right. and what you're willing to capitulate on or not. Um, but as long as it's just, I want the culture and I want to win the culture, but not really interested in winning hearts, well, I'm not certain you're being faithful to the gospel then. And I would even tell people, go read Rosario Butterfield's um uh, the surprise, uh, the unlikely story of a, uh, uh, the story of an unlikely convert. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but as a l- major leader in the uh, lesbian movement in the ac- world of academia, is she engaged by a pastor? He, he and his wife are kind to her, invites her into their house. They have, they actually want to know what she, is her favorite food. You know, th- th- they're trying to care for her for years. Yeah, and and that it struck. Accord to her because she was so used to being treated horribly by Christians, and then she started attending the church. And now she couldn't take communion. She could. There's things she couldn't do because there's a Christian community here, and you're invited to watch and observe. But she's singing the psalms and she's hearing gospel preaching from an Orthodox Presbyterian. You don't get much more, you know, stiff than an Orthodox Presbyterian. And she comes to faith, and and then everything else fell into line for her. Um, again, the church is the gathering of the church is to equip the people so they can go back out into that world. So there's a co- different context of what we're doing in the church, talking to brothers and sisters. And so if they don't like the fact that that's how it is, you just say, "Look, this is the church, and you're here, and you're to watch. You're welcome here. But if you think that we're going to try to." conform our church to you, we're not. We're Christians. Right. But we will love you, tr- laugh with you, tease you. We'll treat you as as a human being. And in all of that, um, 
talk to you with the gospel. Yeah. I, I hope, I, I don't know if we're making sense. Yeah. I hope so. Well, I, I'm sure there's more to say on this, and I'm sure we'll say more as just culture develops and things develop, but um, we do realize it's a touchy topic. There's a lot of heat right now, very strong opinions. Um, so we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so we would ask that you send your comments, your questions. We'll try to address them if we can. Um, again, we, we this is not a black and white category, so I'm certain we'll get some feedback on this. Um, but if you don't, the next time we'll talk about something else. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, give us your thoughts on this issue. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm-hmm.